0: Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. Lehman Property Management Company has the apartment you will be able to call home with over 1,600 apartment units available in central Illinois. Visit them today at MidwestShelters.com or visit them on Facebook. I cannot express my excitement to share this episode. Drew Hunter is my guest today to discuss a topic he has researched for nearly a decade, which is how we are made for friendship, the relationship that halves our sorrows, and doubles our joy. Prepare to be encouraged to take another step to connect with your friends at a deeper level and learn how you were intentionally designed for connection. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Drew.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Will you just start us off by telling us a little bit more about yourself, your family, your work, and what led you to write a book on friendship?
1: Yeah, I live in Zionsville, Indiana, which is a suburb just outside of Indianapolis, and I've lived here for about eight years, moved down here with my wife, Christina, and we now have four sons, all under the age of 10, so our uh, life is pretty full and fun with those boys around, and I work with a church called Zionsville Fellowships, I'm a teaching pastor there, and uh, I've been here for about eight years at this church, and uh, love being part of this community that we're a part of and part of the church. I decided to write a book on friendship. It was partly a a slow process of a few pieces and observations coming together. Uh, It started in 2011 or so when I was studying the book of Proverbs, and I was studying the book of Proverbs to look at several themes that were prominent in there in order to teach them. And I was surprised to find just how central of a theme and prominent of a theme friendship was and is in the book of Proverbs. And so that was really surprising to me, and the pointed, profound things it said about friendship, and that made me want to look at more closely into what Jesus said about friendship, and he called his disciples his friends and defined the cross in terms of friendships, and so it was just surprising to me how I had neglected this theme as a topic to focus on and think about, so I'd studied and thought plenty and had conversations about marriage and different relationships and aspects of life. But while I valued friendships and had good and rich friendships, I realized that I'd never stopped to really think about what is friendship, how do we do it well, how might I be a worse friend than I think I actually am, and what's the real ultimate significance of this? So that's when it first started to come on my mind to think about this as a topic, and then from there, once it was on my mind, you know, it's, it's easy to notice now, especially even the last over the course of this last decade, how much of a cultural crisis we're in, um, in terms of relationships and friendships. So there's a number of studies that have come out over these past years showing, for instance, Cigna health insurance, talk about a survey that they found uh, over half the people surveyed said they sometimes or always feel like nobody knows them really well at all. And under just under half said that they felt like their relationships weren't meaningful. Harvard Business Review had an article recently too on work in the loneliness epidemic. So there's a number of studies that are showing not just in America, but globally, we have a cultural decline in close relationships and friendships. And, you know, social isolation is a hot topic in sociology right now. So thinking about the value of friendship in the Bible, then looking out in the culture and seeing that we really have a lack of real friendship and relationships today. It's, it's on the decline. And then, you know, as a pastor in ministry, I was thinking about the local churches, and I was so grateful that there had been a recovery in community and a focus on community and relationships in general and in a church. But I began to realize how common it was for people to think that they were in community and participate in groups, but still not actually have the kinds of everyday life, rich, close, transparent, soul-to-soul friendships that the book of Proverbs talks about, and really the New Testament shows that we need to have. So those factors came together over a few years and made me realize how important this is and how how much of a gap this really seems to be in my experience and thinking and talking about this and studying this. Um, so eventually a friend recommended that I write on this, and so that's kind of how the process actually came about to want to speak about this and encourage other people to consider it more.
0: That is so fascinating, and I love that a friend is the one who encouraged you to do this. Will you just give an overview of what the Bible does have to say about friendship?
1: Sure. It has several profound things to say, so if I was to summarize it in just a few key points, one of them would certainly be that we were made for friendship. So if you open up the Bible to even the very first page, you see this picture of God speaking creation into existence— And he fills it with communal life, birds and fish and animals. It's teeming with life. And then he creates humanity, Adam and Eve, men and women, in his own image. And he calls us to multiply and fill the world with society. So it's a communal vision of life. Then you get to Genesis 2, and it rewinds into that day, into that process of making man and woman, Adam and Eve before Eve is made, when it's only Adam, Genesis 2.18 says that it's not good that man should be alone. And that's surprising because if you read through Genesis 1, there's a refrain every day of the creation account. It says, and God saw it and it was good, and God saw it and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then we come to Genesis 2 and we find one thing, the only thing that's not good. And it's not that it's not good because it's somehow bad in a moral sense, but it's because it's not yet complete. God's work is not yet complete. And so this shows us the significant problem of humanity being alone. And I think what's so surprising about this, too, is that this is before sin enters the world. So Genesis 3 is when sin enters the world. Genesis 2, the chapter before that, Adam is in paradise with God, with this beautiful creation. And God himself says it's not good that Adam is alone, that man should be alone. I think that's speaking to more than just about the need for marriage, but it's the need for relational connection. And so this shows us that while sin is the deepest problem in the world, the first problem was solitude. The first problem was social isolation, even though the deepest problem is sin and idolatry. So this shows us that we were made for it. It's not surprising then that we read that humanity was made in God's image. And as the Bible unfolds, we find out that God is a triune God of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, who's always existed in this community of effusive love and relationship. And so for this kind of communal God to make humanity in his image, it's not surprising then that if we just have one single solitary human, God would say it's not good because it's not fully able to be reflective of his image yet apart from community. So that'd be a first main idea of what the Bible teaches us, that we're made for it. We also see a few others, more briefly, in the fall of humanity into sin, that relationships and friendships are hard, and they're broken. Immediately when sin enters the world, Adam and Eve are hiding from each other. They're blame shifting. Their relationship isn't safe anymore, so we experience the brokenness of friendship. But then when we see the plan of God's redemption unfold in the old testament we see him seeking to restore people to himself both in a personal relationship with himself and we also see him restoring people to one another in true friendship so the book of proverbs is beautiful with this because it has so many profound and pointed statements about what true friendship is if we were to define friendship from proverbs i think we define it something like it's an affectionate bond forged as we journey together with truth and trust so this is more than just a casual consumer relationship. It's a deeply affectionate bond and it's forged through a life journey together with truth and trust. We see this kind of relationship with David and Jonathan as an example of two men who have a close friendship. We also see it with Ruth and Naomi as two women who have a friendship. So friendship is incredibly important insignificant. We also see when we turn the pages to the New Testament that Jesus is the great friend. He's the true friend. He calls his disciples his friends on the eve of his crucifixion, and he said that he was laying his life down for his friend. So he wants us to even view salvation in terms of being befriended by him. And then maybe just a few notes about the Christian life. Friendship in the New Testament is really essential for persevering in the faith. The book of Hebrews says that we need to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, which seems to indicate that if we view the Christian life as something that is important for us week after week, but not day after day in relationship, we're really missing an essential piece because that text doesn't say encourage one another every Sunday morning, week after week, or even at every small group meeting uh, every Tuesday evening. But it's really a daily reality that we need certain people in our life that know us and we know them in order to be able to speak the truth and love to one another and encourage one another. And even all those one another's of the New Testament, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, love one another, all of these Ideas of being in these one another relationships really can't happen with 300 different people in the fullest sense. It really requires what we would call friendship, everyday life, life on life, soul on soul relationships with one another, which is why for Christians, friendship is a great opportunity to be infused with discipleship intentionality, where we help one another follow Jesus as friends. And then maybe the last thing we could say is friendship really is our hope. Because as we look ahead to the new creation to come, it's not just an isolated individual experience with God in heaven. It's actually a new creation where we live with the triune God and all of his people, all the people who have been brought into friendship with Jesus. So it's a communal vision of life that we're looking forward to. So that's a big picture vision of what the Bible teaches about friendship.
0: Wow, that is a powerful overview. So I want to go back and unpack just a few of those points. You Mm -hmm. just briefly stated, okay, we're not made to do this with 300 people. Did you find in any of your research that there was an ideal number of friends that we can actually have this soul-to-soul connection with?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I think it's hard when we start thinking about wanting this kind of relationship and assessing whether or not we have it. And I think we can probably swing the pendulum to either extreme and say, you could only do this with one or two people, or we could be overly ambitious and think about 30 people that we want to be able to do this every day with. And so I think it's going to be different for everyone. An image that I think has been helpful for me in thinking about this is to think about how every one of us has relational lanes. So if you picture yourself driving down a highway and you're in the left lane, We have different people in different lanes of relative degrees of closeness with us. So the far right lane will have the most cars in it. Those are people we could call acquaintances, and we may have something like you know, 150 people that are close to us in an acquaintance kind of way. We know them, we touch base with them, we can pick up where we left off, we know a bit about them. But then as we get to the middle lanes, that's who we typically use the word friend for or casual friend for. They're people that are in our life, maybe weekly or monthly or people that we've been close with in the past but aren't as close with now. But then in the left lane, there's just going to be a few with you. So I'd say somewhere between three and 12 or 15 or so ends up being the range of the people that are closest to you. So really, Jesus is somewhat of an example in this. I don't know that he's giving us an example of how many people we can have as friends, but he had a circle of 12 people that were closest to him. Those are just 12 disciples. But then he even had within there Peter, James, and John, those three that were closer than the 12. And we even get the sense that John might have been even closer than the other two. So there's just going to be a kind of a concentric circles or lanes moving out from us. And we're not going to be able to have a lot of people in this inner circle.
0: And as I'm thinking about that picture, I'm thinking as well in our vehicle, if we're married and we have a family, I would assume that. God would even put our spouse and our children in the car with us, and they would be one of those relationships that he intended to be closest with. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I was kind of surprised, actually, in my study of friendship, just how debated that has been through history of people when they think about friendship. And I think we can take our cues as Christians, at least from the Bible, where in the Song of Solomon, this couple who's pursuing marriage and then they get married, they refer to each other as friends. There's a phrase that says, this is my beloved and my friend. And the word for friend there is actually a rare Hebrew word that I think is referring to the closest kind of friendship. So yeah, I think marriages are ideally the best of friendships. And then with our children, there's obviously a unique parent-child relationship in the formative years in home. But ideally over time that grows into a friendship and especially when children leave home um, and are launched into the world, the friendship will be a dominant and a primary aspect of the relationship. And we really can even think into our future, that picture of the new creation. It doesn't seem like we're going to be relating to each other primarily in familial terms in relation to the family unit, like fathers and mothers and husbands and wives. But as Christians, that gives way to a Christian community of friendship. So really, in in every marriage that's a close friendship between two believers, in the new creation to come, they won't be defined primarily as a married couple, but as friends. That's how they'll be understood. So I think that's ideal to think about those closest relationships. And I like your image of they're in the car with you as well, kind of carpooling, as it were.
0: Yes. But then a great clarification that you added that there is a different relationship when our children are in formative years. Right. You also alluded to your book that talks going back to the Bible Mm
1: -hmm. and how
0: it teaches that perseverance in the faith requires the practice of friendship. How does this actually translate into our own lives?
1: You know, it's going to look different for a lot of different people. Different people will experience friendship differently based upon their context, their own experiences. But there are a few general principles and I think kind of best practices that are helpful for most people, it seems. So in general, I think we all do need to recognize that it takes intentionality and it takes work. And so we can't just expect friendship to be happening in our life and flourishing and healthy and strong unless we're taking intentional steps to work at it. And so some of us need to maybe take the first step toward a more intentional approach to engaging in our friendships or continue to work all the more. Some of us need to not only just take intentional steps, but have a higher value. So even before I'd think about practical steps, I'd think about just a mindset shift because what, what happened to me is the more highly I valued friendship, it was really surprising how I just found myself thinking of my friends more often when they would call I would be much more eager to answer the call. So sometimes we're, we're busy and we can't pick up the phone or there's other things going on and we think, well, I'll call that person back later. But I just found myself thinking, wow, what a privilege that this friend's calling me right now. I'm gonna drop what I'm doing and talk to him. I found myself thinking about a, a spare evening and thinking, I wonder if this person would be willing to get together tonight or get together this weekend. And so I think if we just have a higher value on friendship, we'll find that we actually just change the way we live in ways we couldn't even predict. But as far as practical steps, I think there are a number of things that are wise to do. I think, for one, valuing face-to-face friendship is really important. So not just relying on technology or social media to keep up with people, but actually getting face-to-face in person with people. God's made us embodied creatures and beings, and we're we're made to pick up not just words but tone of voice and facial expression and enjoy each other's laughs. And so getting face-to-face is really important. I think meals are a great way to connect with friendships. I think you can make a case that one of the purposes of food is for the sake of fostering friendship. Food is, is a central theme in the Bible. Even when God makes covenants, it's often with a meal central to that. Even the new covenant with the Lord's Supper is intended to be this family meal for a church. So I think getting together around a meal, inviting people into our home, if that's a possibility for meals together or dessert or going out for a meal or drinks can be a great way to foster friendship. So those those are two primary Steps that I, that I'd take. And then maybe the third would be to think about establishing some rhythms in your schedule. So when we think about the things we value in life, we often recognize that they will not get done unless we build them into our schedule. So we can have great ambitions to exercise and work out. But if we don't actually plan, and have a time for when we go to the gym or when we plan on exercising or running or whatever we want to do, it won't actually happen, especially not in any consistent way. Or if we want to know God by hearing his voice through his word and speaking to him through prayer, that can be sustained through spontaneity, maybe for a few days or a few weeks, if we're in a season of life where we're really eager to know him and pursue him. But that Our hearts and desires can ebb and flow, and so we often need a rhythm, a time set apart where we prioritize communing with God and getting to know him through his word and prayer. So I would just say that we should do the same thing with friendships. We should build it into our schedule. For instance, my wife and I, we have Wednesday nights. We call it hospitality night, and we just block off our schedule to invite people into our home, uh, either for dinner or dessert. Since dinner is a bit more chaotic these days with four young boys, we often just wait till after the boys go to bed and have people over for dessert. Um, but that's just a rhythm that we have to make sure people are in our life in that kind of context. I also meet uh, every other week for coffee with a really close friend of mine on Monday afternoons. And that's a time where, you know, we get together other times through through the weeks, but this is a time where we make sure we're talking about the things that matter most to us, kind of soul on soul questions, any confession of sin that's needed, encouragement, advice. So we have that rhythm built in. And then I've had other rhythms at different times of getting breakfast with with someone or just having a spot on my calendar where you can just have you know, Monday morning breakfast is just open for getting together with someone. So I'd encourage people to think about what rhythms in their life they can set up to make sure friendship is a central part of life. Otherwise, our schedules get filled up with all the things that keep us busy or whatever's left. We feel exhausted and too exhausted to spontaneously get together with someone. So those are a few tips. There's probably probably many more that people can have. I encourage people to even just start conversations with each other about this.
0: I love that proactive approach. And you said you and your wife have four boys, all under 10. Right. Even for you two personally, was there a time where this was most challenging for either you or your wife to cultivate friendship?
1: Yeah, that's, you know, honestly, I I found that almost every season has challenges that feel really hard. It's hard for me to think of a time that was most difficult because I find that once we're in a hard season and we create new rhythms to make it work, our life will change in some small way where we realize that the rhythms we had set up and the intentionality we had, we need to rethink it and find new ones that that match for our life. So I think just every season had unique challenges to them. Perhaps when we had three under three years old, that was the hardest because we were so tired and Uh, just full with those boys, but we still managed to think through if it's essential that we have friendship, how will we make it happen? Because I think we found that in the seasons when it seemed hardest to have friendship as a central part of our life, those were the seasons when we needed it in some ways the most because we were stressed or busy or needed help or needed encouragement. So it's hard for me to think of a time that was most hard. I hope maybe that's even encouraging to people because we, we often just feel like the season we're in has so many obstacles or hurdles to this.
0: I think that's actually incredibly encouraging because it's helpful to not buy the lie that it will just get easier so you don't need to prioritize it now. Right. But I would echo what you're saying. When my husband and I make this a priority, it is always so fulfilling and it seems like God does want to bless this as he instructs it in the Bible.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe... Just one observation that is helpful is that it does seem like there are certain seasons of life when, for instance, in college years, if people are in college, where friendships can happen very quickly. So someone's compared it like college years, friendships like a microwave, whereas in later, later in life, it's more like a crock pot. It takes more time. And part of it is because the social proximity is right there. You're living with different people or you're seeing them in class or you're connecting and crossing paths in so many ways in those years. And then people leave college or leave that season of life in their younger 20s, and they find that it is a lot harder and takes a different level of intentionality because that kind of environment isn't there. So I remember talking with a group of guys one time, and I just said, what comes to your mind when you think about friendship? And one of them responded, that used to be nice. And, and his point was, he just looked in his past and he thought, yeah, I had really rich friendships in my early 20s, and now he was in his mid-30s by now, and he just thought it's it's so hard. So if anything, it, it seems to get harder over time, and so we need to be all the more intentional.
0: And now a brief message from our sponsor. With over 1,600 apartment units available throughout Pekin, Peoria, Peoria Heights, Morton, Washington, and Canton... And with every price range covered, you will have plenty of options when you rent through Lehman Property Management Company. They have townhomes, duplexes, studios, and garden style options located in many areas throughout Pekin. In Peoria, a historic downtown location and apartments adjacent to the OSF Medical Center provide excellent choices. Check out their brand new luxury property in Peoria Heights overlooking the boutique shops and fine dining on Prospect. And in Morton, they offer a variety of apartment homes with garages, a hot downtown location, and now a brand new high-end complex near Idlewood Park. Their beautiful, spacious apartments with private garages and a quiet but convenient location await you in Washington. And if you're looking in Canton, don't miss Village Square Apartments. Lehman Property Management Company has a knowledgeable and helpful office staff and maintenance crew, including several employees with over 30 years working with this reputable company. Renters may be excited to learn about their flexible leases, pet-friendly locations, and even mini storage units that are available in some locations. So make sure you check them out on Facebook today or email their friendly staff at leasing at laymanprops.com. You can also stop by their website at midwestshelters.com. Check them out and find your place to call home today. I think you make it very clear in your resource that God does intend for us to have a special relationship not only with Him. He wants us to also enjoy it with others. So I'd love for you to continue just vision casting for us now. What are some of your goals or your hopes for readers after they complete your book?
1: Yeah, I think one goal would be for those who feel lonely, who are lonely and recognize that they're lonely, which is a lot of people. My hope would be that they would walk away from this book with maybe two main things on their mind. One, that they would come to know Jesus, either for the first time or in a new way, as the truest friend. Because Friendship is very hard and discouraging, and we let friends down. Friends let us down. There can be miscommunication, different expectations. Knowing that we actually have the truest friend who is always with us and always faithful and that he'll never leave us or forsake us, knowing that will actually give us the kind of emotional stability that we need to even be more intentional with friendships in an others-oriented way. So, for instance, the way I think about it in my own life is I can tend to walk into a room with people and what's on my mind, either consciously or subconsciously, is who can I, who can I know here or talk to to make sure I don't look lonely or feel out of place? And I'm just thinking, how, how can I make this situation adapt to me to meet my need to feel included? And that's really a self-oriented approach. But if I walk into the room knowing that the Lord Jesus is with me and he's the truest friend. That deep need in my soul is already met in that moment, and I'm experiencing that moment by moment. Now I can walk into a room and not be so worried about whether or not I would find someone to befriend me, but I can look now and wonder, who needs a friend in this room? Who can I go pursue? Who can I encourage? And it really can create an others-oriented mindset because I'm already satisfied with Jesus as a friend. So, And that's also comforting in seasons where we do feel particularly lonely. So that'd be the first thing for that kind of person. The other thing that that person would be encouraged to take one concrete step in pursuing a friendship, pursuing someone in a conversation, maybe after church on Sunday morning, inviting someone to coffee or a meal. And then I think for those who are reading this, who feel like they already do have good friends. My hope is that they would just recapture a beautiful, big vision of friendship so that they would be encouraging their friends and celebrating friendship. And I say recapture it because this really does seem to be a lost vision that Christians have once had in different seasons of church history and have somewhat lost. So my hope is that people would walk away with this big vision recaptured and that they would be encouraging them to their To their friends and make this a central part of life, and really enjoy this, and not neglect it or even overlook what what a gift this is that God's given us.
0: Do you have any caution for the types of friends that we surround ourselves with?
1: Yes, so my caution would probably be the same that Proverbs gives. So Proverbs. Um, has a very high view of friendship, but it also has a couple statements that warn against certain kinds of friends. It says, you know, don't walk with an angry person and walk with is a Hebrew metaphor for friendship. It says, because you'll learn his ways. And it talks about walking with the wise so that you become wise rather than being a companion of fools. So there is wisdom that we need in befriending certain kinds of people. And so we need to be balanced here because There's really two things we need to think about. One is our closest friends should be those whom we really do want to become like and have this mutual encouragement. I think this is why the closest relationships a Christian will have will be those who are also Christians because friendship is partly really at the heart about commonality and common interest and common activity and you know c.s lewis said a friendship starts when two people say what you two and they realize they have something in common and for christians we have jesus in common and all sorts of parts of our soul are able to be understood mutually by other believers that couldn't be understood by those who aren't christians but on the other hand we recognize that we should be friends at different levels with all sorts of people. Jesus was the friend of sinners and he was criticized for the kinds of people that he befriended. And so Jesus didn't seem to be worried at all about becoming contaminated by certain kinds of people or anything like that. So we really should be befriending and being hospitable to people who have all sorts of situations in life. And we should uh, seek to love them and welcome them. And if they don't know Jesus, introduce them to Jesus as a close friend. So I think there's a balanced approach that we need when we think of who's going to be closest to us, but then who should we still be close with? So an example, too, is just a few days ago, my son came home from school and he talked about how rude one of the kids was in school. He was kind of a bully to him and and hurt his feelings and was mean. And it was a good opportunity to talk about friendship because it's important that my son recognizes that person may not right now be able to be his closest friend. And it's important that he wouldn't want that person in its current state to be his closest friend, but he's also called still to be friendly to him and to to love him and to serve him and to care about him. So I think that's the balanced perspective that we need to we need to have with this.
0: That's great. I love that. And this may be a little off topic, but there are just a few quotes that I want to point out that gave me pause. One of them is when you said Introverts also like to be alone in order to recharge, but mm-hmm. some batteries, if perpetually plugged into the wall, lose their capacity. The refreshment I receive from being alone partly exists for the sake of re-engaging with and encouraging others mm-hmm. as an extrovert, that was fascinating to read because I know I've always been sensitive to not take too much from my introverted friend's batteries. But that was a really awesome shift in my perspective.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm just just thinking about introverts and extroverts. I think we can have the perception that extroverts are really good at friendship and introverts aren't. And some introverts can even use that as an excuse to not have many friendships Or extroverts can use that as an excuse not to have close friendships that go deep. And so really, we just need to recognize we all do friendship differently. And it's really about how we get energy to recharge. You know, extroverts may love befriending a lot of people, but might need to be encouraged to go deeper. Introverts may not enjoy a party atmosphere with a lot of people, but they're really good at going deep quickly with a few. So we kind of just appreciate each other and learn from each other in those ways.
0: I love it and it leaves no room for excuses for any of us to not pursue friendship, whatever it may look right. like. We love our audience. You are the friendliest people. And if you ever have questions or if you want to become a sponsor or you would like to learn more about becoming a patron, please reach out to us in an email sent to infothesavvysauce.com. You can also connect with us on social media at the Savvy Sauce. And I also just want to highlight one other study that you share in your book. You talk about Arthur Brooks studying the key contributions to people's happiness in America, which, like Uh you say, it's the nation that etched the pursuit of happiness onto its foundation. And other than our own genes and circumstances, Brooks found four factors that correlate most closely with happiness, faith, family, meaningful work, and friends.
1: Yeah, I think we can neglect some of those in the in our own pursuit of happiness by focusing maybe just on one. Some people can focus on the pursuit of happiness only with work, and then they're left unsatisfied when work, maybe they lose their job or they find that it's not satisfying for them in certain seasons of life or it's not meaningful. Or we can pursue relationships just in families. And then neglect friendship. And so it really does give a a more balanced vision to see what really does make human beings tick. And really that reflects the way God's made us. He's made us to know him and be satisfied most deeply with trusting him and walking with him in friendship. He's made us to be in close familial bonds, which then become especially close in the church. He's made us to enjoy friendships across all sorts of lines. And then he's made us for meaningful work to be participating in the culture and engagement and loving people through our vocations. So for me, it just, it helps me to not neglect friendship because I think I've, in years past I would have. I wouldn't have thought to include friendship as one of the top four as such a universal statement.
0: Here's one other big statement from your book. You say that there's a theme of friendship through the Bible showing that friendship, friendship with one another and also with God, is at the center of scripture, the heart of history, and is the ultimate meaning of the universe. So will you just share Mm -hmm. how you arrived at that conclusion?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty bold claim, I suppose. And it really comes from recognizing what many theologians of Christians have observed in the Bible. And that's that communion with the triune God is the goal of history. God made us to know him. But I think what this adds is that it's recognizing that this theme of friendship is part of how the bible calls us to understand communion with god and other people so it's not just a general idea of communion with god and community but really friendship in particular is part of what the bible highlights as um, central and so we can see this really by looking at the beginning the middle and the end of the bible and so looking at the beginning of the bible we see that god made us for friendship god created us in his image for friendship with himself and one another. We even get a hint of this in Genesis 3, 8, where it talks about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and that image for walking is a metaphor of friendship when it's walking with people and that word is also picked up later in israel's history to refer to god walking in the temple because the temple is a picture of eden and so in other words what this shows us is that when god's walking in the garden it's a picture of god's presence with his people in communion with them and so god made us for friendship with himself it's the intent for which we were made and for one another then when we go to the middle of the bible We see what's become increasingly profound to me as I thought about it. Just in John 15, when Jesus talks about the cross, there's this beautiful section of scripture from John 13 to 17, where we see Jesus's final night. And he's in an upper room with his disciples for most of that conversation. And he's unfolding his plan for them and opening his heart to them. John says he loved them to the end. And in that conversation, Jesus wanted to help his disciples understand the cross. I mean, he's going to the cross the next day. They're going to be confused about it. And he wanted them to understand what was going on when it happens. And the way he did it was by having his disciples understand this coming crucifixion in terms of friendship. So he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends. So. He's giving them a category so that when they see the cross the next day, they can remember and say, that is my savior dying for me because he loves me as a dear friend. So here we have the turning point of history, the cross, and it's this cosmic act of friendship. And Jesus himself wants us to think of ourselves as his friends, not just servants. He says, no longer do I call you servants but I've called you friends, which is just so striking to me because it's such a privilege to be called a servant of Jesus. And we are servants of him, but apparently for him it's not a great enough privilege. He says, I'm not going to call you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. And then when we go to the end of the Bible, we see that our future is not just kind of a disembodied me and Jesus relationship, it's actually a new creation and it's described as a new earth and a new city. It's communal and it's a world of friendship. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so I would just add then that a primary way that we do that is through communion with God by enjoying his friendship and the friendship of his people with him. So I think those observations help us see that really friendship, this theme in the Bible, is at the center of the Bible. It's at the heart of history and really is the ultimate meaning of the universe. This is where everything's heading.
0: And I think it just provokes inner gratitude hearing it put that way because it's such an exciting invitation and privilege to get to be a part of that kind of relationship with God and others. So if friendship is so great, why are so many people lacking these intimate relationships? And then also, how would you persuade us to prioritize it higher?
1: In our current modern culture, I think there's a lack of social circles that overlap. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of people have just kind of observed as they study our culture, that we've shifted in many ways from living in a, in a way where we overlap in our relationships with people. For instance, we used to be able to live in a town where the people in our neighborhood, we might also see at the store, part of our church community, and we might work with a few of them or see at soccer practice. And now those circles, those spheres don't overlap. So we might have a workplace with a number of employees and we may not see them in any other context of our life outside of the workplace. And then our church community may be the very same thing. We might not have anyone in in our neighborhood or surrounding neighborhoods that are part of our church community because it's common to drive farther for a church community as well. And we may not work with any of them. And then people in our neighborhood, we might not have in any of those spheres either. So I think that really hinders the development of relationships because it means we have to be all the more intentional to try to overlap our lives with people and not just Have touch points in certain isolated spheres. So that's that affects all of us. But in addition to that technology is Helping relationships in some ways, but it's also hindering them in many ways because we're we're tending to rely more on digital ways of relating to each other which are less personal and they're disembodied and so we are no longer having as many frequent interactions with people face to face or the kinds of conversations that we need to have that are deeply personal, even confessing of sin or lovingly confronting people. Those things really can't happen well over digital sources. And when we try, it often doesn't go very well because you can't read tone and facial expression in those ways. So technology is making us rely more and those means of communication and also mobility i've moved around quite a bit in my life and for some people it can be really hard to feel like starting over one more time and especially if you're going to settle somewhere and think you might move again in two three four or five years you can start to think well maybe i won't try to make any new friends where i live and i'll just rely on the friends i already have and keep in touch with them over distance and that can hinder forming new friendships and then i think just our pace of life can be very hard. Some people really are too busy, and other people think they're too busy. There, there's just a perception of busyness that we can even have that can hinder us from thinking we have time for friendships. I know for a while, I realized that I wasn't asking certain people to spend time together in friendship because I just figured they were too busy. I even had a friend tell me one time that he doesn't invite me to spend time with him because he figures that I'm too busy. We I think we do that to each other a lot. We we just perceive that we're busier others are. And that can really just hinder the uh, sense of getting together. So I think it's important that we even just tell each other, I'm not that busy, or I have these evenings open, or and then just being responsive too. If someone asks to get together, I think in years past I would be prone to just debate it in my mind and say maybe. And now I'm just trying to respond immediately. If someone wants to get together, yes, let's make it happen. Um, So those are those are things that that can hinder our our relationships. And so I think by prioritizing it more highly, I think there's just a quicker responsiveness to invitations, letting people know that we're not as busy as they might think we are. Or even if you do move, taking steps to befriend people right where you live um, is really important rather than thinking that we don't need friendships um, where we live. But taking steps to do that is important.
0: Yes, definitely paraphrasing, but it may be a proverb that says better to have a friend close by than a brother far away. So taking it one step further, what is something that any one of us could start doing right now to put these lessons into practice?
1: With the friendships that you already have, you know, I even find it's helpful to just draw on a piece of paper those relational lanes, the right, the left lane that you're A couple middle lanes that are for casual friends and a right lane of acquaintances and just write down the people who are in your left lane or are in the one right next to you and then take a step with each one. Think, okay, for each person on this list, what's one step I can take to strengthen our friendship together and then start doing those things. So a few suggestions could be if it's a friend who doesn't live nearby, you could say, I'm going to call this friend tonight. Or I'm going to call this friend on my way home from work. And I've found that it's helpful to, uh, when when I used to have the expectation of maybe a an hour-long conversation with someone that I was only in touch with maybe once a month or every few weeks, that hindered me from wanting to call or pick up the phone because I knew it was a huge commitment. So sometimes I just call people on my way home from work and I have a three-minute commute. And I just let them know, hey, I got three minutes. I'm driving home. I just wanted to say, hey. And that makes it really easy to just stay in touch um, more frequently. So... That could be one of the next steps with a friend. Another one could be, let's get together for a meal. Another one could be, let's read a book together. Would you be willing to meet, you know, for the next, maybe every other week for a few months and just talk about a couple of chapters as we meet or a book of the Bible together? Even just sending an encouraging note through text or email to them about what you appreciate about their relationship with you. So I think that's one concrete step that can be taken. Two others that come to mind are one. With the relationships you already have as well, uh, across any of those lanes, think about how in your conversations you can drop that conversation maybe one step deeper by asking a good question and staying curious. So often conversations stay superficial because we aren't asking just thoughtful questions. And so I find it helpful to have a few go-to questions that move conversations more deeply. So a few examples could be, what are a few themes in your life right now? What are a few key things that are, that are on your mind recently? That takes conversation deeper than just the weather or how is work going today or what, have you, what are you doing this weekend? It helps them think broadly about their life. Could be also, we, we do this as a, a family and I do this with others as well sometimes, is what's something that's really encouraging to you lately or what's something that's really discouraging? That really gets to the emotional core of who we are and, and allows people to speak to what's really important to them. And then even asking people, especially if they're readers or they're, they read the Bible, just asking what they're reading lately or what they're reading in God's word and what's been challenging to them, because that enters into their thought world and it shows also what's important to them. And then once you ask the question, just staying curious is huge. And just being interested more interested in what they have to say to you than you have to say to them and keep going Uh, one other thing would be pray i think especially if you feel like in this season of life you don't have many close friends or you're really confused about certain friendships asking the lord to provide a friend and to help you be a better friend is a great step god made us for this and he's sovereign over all of history And he loves to answer those kinds of prayers.
0: Wow, Drew, those are incredible suggestions. And I have to give a little shout out to my husband, just adding one more question. And he'll often say, what's been consuming your thoughts lately? And with anyone that can get into their internal world, something that you're not aware of. So I love your suggestions. If anyone wants to find out more about you or connect with you online, where would you send them?
1: Twitter. So I'm on Twitter. Um, They can find me at Drew F. Hunter on there, usually sending out notes about friendship or quotes or things that encourage me um, that I'm reading lately. Um, That would be a primary way to look me up.
0: Awesome. We will link to that in our show notes and on our resources page. You know that our podcast is called The Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so ideally, we want to know your most beneficial and practical habits that we can replicate. So Drew, as my final question for you today, what is your savvy
1: sauce? I love the question. And so I think a habit that I've formed very imperfectly, and I'm still trying to grow in, but it's been really important for me, is to really adopt this principle that whenever a thought comes to my mind about somebody else that would encourage them, To act on it immediately. Our world is just filled with discouragement and sarcasm and criticism, and we all feel weighed down. Nobody is walking around overly encouraged. And so I just think, why not swing the pendulum a bit and overcorrect? And try to encourage people and affirm people and express esteem for people and honor people. And so the way that I want to do that then is by if the thought comes to my mind, it comes to my mind too rarely as it is. So when it does, to act on it immediately. Either send a text to somebody or an email or if it's a conversation, just look them in the eye and tell them why I respect them or what I'm grateful for about them or what I appreciate about them. Um, And then not delay and not forget about it. So just act on it
0: those are wise words. I just want to say a big thank you just for giving your time today to teach us how and why to prioritize friendship. And thank you especially for sharing with us how the Bible lays this out for our own good. I appreciate all that you've shared, and I just want to say thank you for being my guest.
1: It's been a privilege. I love talking about it, and I find that every time I talk about this I feel re-energized and grateful for the gift of friendship and encouraged to keep being intentional. So it's been profitable for me as well and I hope for, for others, thank you.
0: One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news and I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us.